This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, here we go. Midlife Mail Podcast time. I am your host, Greg Scheinman. Thank you guys, as always, for joining me. If you like what you hear on the program, please give us that five-star review, pass it along to your friends, and let's spread the word all about the Midlife Mail. Today, Lou Savarese, former heavyweight boxing champion, owner of Savarese Fight Fit. He is a husband. He is a father. He is a poet. He is an all-around great guy and gentle giant. Lou and I have become Good friends over the years. It's an honor and a privilege to know him, to train with him, to hang around with the guy. He is a uh, he is a lot of fun and has a heart of gold. Let's get into this. Six foot five, hovering around two forty five right now, at the ripe age of fifty three, a young fifty three. He is originally from New York. He is now in Houston, Texas, where I am as well. Who didn't this guy fight? Let's talk toughness. He fought Buster Mathis Jr. He fought George Foreman. He beat Buster Douglas. He fought Mike Tyson. He's fought John Ruiz. He's fought Leo Nolan. He has fought Evander Holyfield. He has gone out there and fought the very best of the best throughout his career. He personifies toughness. As I said, he is a gentle giant, one of the best guys to be around. He also has gotten started in Fight Fit, his boutique fitness studio. He's got his gym in downtown Houston, and now he's got the new location over in West University. So we're going to talk a lot about the transition and the resurgence of boxing from the boxing gyms of old to the boutique fitness studios and boxing and fight fitness in that capacity and what he's doing there. We talk a lot about his family, which is the most important thing to him, his wife, Louisa, and his three children. And we also talk about his relationship with his dad, uh, which is something I can relate to, both of us having lost our fathers at, uh, at early ages. He's a poet. We get into that too, talking about his poetry. Um, you're also going to hear the Lou personality come out as this is pretty uh, pretty off the cuff between the two of us being comfortable around each other uh, with the humor and the jokes and just the BSing back and forth. He has been featured also on episodes of The Jury, Guiding Light, The Sopranos, and one of my favorite shows of all time, Rescue Me. Here we go. Lou Savarese on the Midlife Mail podcast. Let's do this. All right, with me right here, right now on the Midlife Mail podcast, Lou Savarese. Savarese Fight Fit, heavyweight champ, the man. Thank you for joining me, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm so, excited. so okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you straight off. I always like to get into something topical, like right off one. What, what 
time did you get up this morning? You were like Mr. Early Riser, go get the bagels, like making meatballs at 4 a.m. Like, what is your fucking morning like? It's time okay? to make the donuts, remember? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just one of those guys I get up early. So uh, I come from a long line of blue-collar workers, and, you know, it's uh, everybody got up early in my house. And so I'm, I'm so used to doing it, and uh, just keep it going that way. So that's just your time, creature yeah, habit? Yeah, I love it, yeah. And I get things... You get the things done a lot more efficiently that time in the morning. No traffic. Uh, everything works out well. <laughs> Good. You still can't find the bagels and the uh, and the donuts the way you can back east, right? No. The bagels are right, though. I got a place uh, on uh, Hillcroft in Bracewood, uh, New York Bagel. It's my go-to spot. That's your spot. You're the yeah. first one there. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> so where did you grow up? Give me your back. Uh, well, I was born in the Bronx, lived there for 11 years, and then I moved to a... Uh, Place most known as Orange County Choppers was up there. It's called uh, actually grew up in Orange. We grew up a place called Greenwood Lake. Mm-hmm. It's a really neat spot. And kind of uh, ironically, that's where a lot of guys did boxing training. There was a lot of uh, great fighters that would do their training camps up there. That's how my dad originally found that he was up there in a training camp and found the gym. So your dad was that? Was he training for himself or was? What was he was he up there. Him, my uncle used to train fighters, so they were up there training fighters and. Um, Found this place. It was a you know, I mean, beautiful spot. It was an hour north of New York City and probably more country in most parts of Houston, but it was a really cool spot and all, a very blue collar spot. Most of the people, probably 90% worked in New York City in construction, uh, policemen, firemen, something mm-hmm. to that extent. Now, is, is that what your father did? professionally throughout his whole life or was he doing something else and then got got no. into the boxing game and wanted to train fighters the other way around he was they were in boxing him and my uncle were in boxing my dad fought in the golden gloves and new york golden gloves and they just uh did it but you know it wasn't a way to make money my dad had a uh, a uh, cab place in the bronx a uh, private cab service in, on Bainbridge avenue in uh, the bronx new york mm-hmm. so did you prefer city life in the bronx or did you prefer it up you know, up in the country. You know, there's, uh, you know, the grass is always greener. There's two different, I mean, my dad, he, he definitely thought it was the best thing for us, and we loved it. I mean, it was so nice. I had, uh, you know, yeah, you play, in the, play in the yard, go out and play baseball. I mean, it's now, more than then, now I miss the cafe society. I like walking around places and stuff. It's kind of fun. As you know, I mean, in the Bronx, there's always different cultures. I mean, every, mm-hmm. you know, the next, every different neighborhood could be a different, you know, a different vibe, different feel. How old were you when you made that move? I was 11. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there always a push, like, within the family for you to be a boxer? Or no, was boxing no. a oh, sport, no. oh, you no. know, that, no, no. that you just partook in? Or, or no, not? I was the baby. I was one of four. My, my, my sister's a PA in uh, Virginia, a physician's assistant. My older brother was a hospital administrator. My, my uh, brother, a 15-month-old me, is in journalism. And I became the, the boxer. We all went through this. I mean, my dad just, he was a man's man, worked his butt off. I and mean, put his family, family's needs first, worked it, worked so hard and put us into private schools. It was crazy, you know. And finally, <clears throat> we all graduated from the same private school in Goshen, New York. It was called John S. Burke, very good school. And um, I got thrown out south my year for getting in fights, believe it or not. So, so my dad was just like, you know, what am I going to do? So they put me in a public school and... Uh, I had a baseball scholarship to a school in Florida called Flagler University, but I had to bring a GPA up at a GPA up at a. So I went to a community college, Westchester Community College. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I didn't bring my GPA up, so I stuck with <laughs> stuck with boxing. But sports were always a thing. Yeah, for you. yeah, baseball was my sport. Baseball, baseball was and then yeah, what, yeah. what position you played? I was a catcher, and then I, I broke my shoulder uh, fighting, and uh, I wound up 
playing right field, but I was, obviously it wasn't that good. So the fighting was an extracurricular for a while. Yeah, yeah, I was an angry young man. I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> when did you, when did it kind of turn the corner for you to say, okay, you know, this is something, I'm, I'm going to stop fighting on the extracurricular side, yeah. and I'm going to actually get in the ring? You know, it was funny. I had, so after I, I, College wasn't working out. I went. Um, I got in the plumbers union. You know, a typical New York thing. I was in local two plumbers. I got. I was a um, a apprentice plumber four years. You know, and uh, I was doing that. But the whole time I started boxing. You know, I just did it more for a hobby. But then just mm-hmm. kept progressing. I sparred my first sparring session with a guy named Ronaldo Snipes. I don't know if I remember that name. Mr. Snipes. Good for you! Wow, well, that's, Mr. Snipes. That's yeah. awesome. So, actually, I, I owe him. I owe him so much stuff because he could have killed me. I was the first guy I went in the ring with. First guy I ever spot with. He literally could annihilate mm-hmm. me. But taught me so much, and I, I used so much that he taught me. Like working with this this charity event we just did with all the brokers and uh, traders. You know, I, I could go in there and kill the guy, but I don't because of Snipes, and he taught me. And it's such a good way to learn and everything. So I was the first guy I ever spot with. And then it just kept progressing. I did really well with him for you know for what I what I had with the uh, mm-hmm. lack of experience, but it just progressing, kept progressing, and you know, kept going. When do, when it does keep going, when does it kind of register a little bit that okay, you know, I can not only can I throw a punch, you know, but <laughs> but I can but I can take one, okay? Because that, that's a big. Di- I mean, look, that's a, huge a big it, yeah. big difference. You know, you huge take part. the headgear off, okay? Yeah. Gloves get a little smaller, and all of a sudden, this stuff becomes. Becomes pretty darn real. Yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely, you're mm-hmm. right. It's you know, with me it was that uh, I mean, my first was the amateur fight when I fought in New York Golden Gloves. I fought one fight, my first amateur fight. I fought in Greenwich, Connecticut, at the YMCA, and uh, I fought this big Greek guy who could take a beating, but he, he wasn't a very good fighter. I went the distance with him, and then I wound up fighting New York Golden Gloves. At that time, that was '84. It was the New York Golden Gloves was. I mean, they would sell out the big room at the Garden. It was really a big deal. You know, now yeah. it's kind of dissipated, but. It was cool, so I wound up fighting. Um, I fought one, two. I fought four fights, and in the fifth fight, I won the championship. And I fought a really good fighter at the time, this guy uh, Jonathan Hill. I beat him in the finals. Okay, so you go from you got to make a decision at some point, though. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of the plumbers union. No, I was still I was still being a plumber, but okay. actually, that was probably my biggest incentive to the box was the plumbers union. I mean, I really, I mean. On the flip side, looking back in retrospect, I mean, the even almost more than the boxing gym, the best characters you've ever seen. Good on New York construction site. I mean, I could still, I mean, it was just the most colorful characters you've ever seen. You could do a comedy skit. I mean, you know, everybody looked different. The plumbers with the crack hanging out. You had all the, uh, you know, all the uh, carpenters and all the uh, steam fears had funny hats. Everybody could just look at them and say what trade they were with. Mm-hmm. So that, that was cool, but I, I just didn't like it. I just could see my rest of my life doing this, being a plumber, you know, so that would be like my biggest incentive to do good in boxing. It was a tough job. <laughs> yeah, clearly it's, yeah, it's yeah. a tough job. Um, <laughs> how does boxing turn into, again, not only a profession, but a business, you know, I mean, it's a, you know, you gotta navigate those waters, right, and figure out how to do this professionally, managers, getting fights, how does, how does that work for a young guy? And how old were you when you When turned I turned pro, pro, I was 23. I actually turned pro at 23. Actually, here in Houston, Texas, um, uh, my, my, my career got stunted because my, uh, my dad passed away, like, right before I was going to turn pro. So that was a big, you know, big part of my life. And uh, so we took a little bit, you know, I took a little bit of a sabbatical. Probably took off six months, so things were backed up. But I actually turned pro in Galveston uh, at the convention, the old convention center. It's not there anymore. And... Um, 
It was kind of cool, kind of ironic. I fought on the undercard of Foreman's comeback. It was his third comeback fight. And the thing I remember most about that fight, Lee Majors was there, a six million dollar man. So that was like huge for me. I think he's still here, right? Is he really? I think he's, I think he's back in Houston now. <laughs> I did not know that, but he was. This is in 1989. Okay. And he was there. It was pretty cool. I think he's here. I think Lee Majors is now really? on the Houston social circuit. I think he's back here. Really? We got. We got. He's got to be up that. there, buddy. He's got to be. I mean, I'm, he's got. If he is back here, seven. we got to find him. We got to bring him in. But I, I'm pretty sure he's on the Houston social social circuit somewhere. Yeah. Maybe he can kind of announce. You know. But that was huge for me, knowing that the uh, Bionic Man was there. That was pretty cool. So <laughs> we fought down there. And I, that was my first, uh, my pro debut was there. Okay. Yeah, and then it just kept progressing. Now. How old are you when your dad passed away? You I was 23. You, so yeah, you were 23, yeah. about to turn pro. Yeah, about to turn pro. Okay, and you're the youngest, you said, of, of Yeah, four. I was the baby. I was the baby, yeah. Okay, were you living here at the time, or were you still... I was going between here and New York, so I was down here. I would train if we had a fight coming up. I actually, I came here in uh, <laughs> in uh, 80, 86 to fight in a, a tournament at Rice College, and I was living in the Olympic training center. There was a thing called Operation Gold, and they were in Colorado Springs, and they would pay. They take the top ten guys in each weight class and give them a very small per diem, and pay for you to stay out there and train and get ready for the uh, for the Olympics. So I did that, and then I had fought in here in '86, and it was a wealthy debutante down there. I don't know if you remember her name, Josephine Abercrombie. Okay, before my time. Yeah, in Houston. definitely okay. before your time. Yeah, and she was a wealthy debutante. The uh, family uh, had big oil money, and she was a really neat lady. And she got into boxing. It was crazy. I mean, they actually we were on the cover of. Uh, of um, Texas Monthly, they had a picture of me and uh, her, and she was standing on me and said, the fighting woman, I and mean, it was pretty cool. She was a really, really neat lady. She had signed all the top Olympians from 84, uh, Frank Tate, um, Frank Tate, Calvin Grove, a bunch of guys. And then in 88, I lost to Riddick Bowe to go to the Olympics, and she wound up signing me, and I, that's why I transplanted down here. Okay. But you were really close with your dad. Yeah. 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 And I, similarly, unfortunately, you know, I lost my dad when I was 17, so wow. not too far off from 17 to, to 23. Yeah. I mean, before, before the time that we had expected yeah. you know, okay. on that. How old was your dad? So my dad was 47 when he oh passed away. Oh, my goodness. My dad was 59. That's young, too. Okay. So, again, yeah. you had older siblings. Yeah. I got two younger ones. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was the baby. So I was the oldest. You were the youngest. Uh, yeah. My youngest brother at the time was eight, nine years old. Wow. You know, And it puts a lot, obviously puts a... Puts everything in, in perspective. Yeah. Um, were you close with your mom? Was your mom around? Did that? Both of us, yeah. We, we were, we, I had, you know, to me, I thought I was rich. Until mm-hmm. I came down here, I didn't realize I wasn't rich. I mean, just, <laughs> and I was rich. I had everything you needed, not everything you wanted, but I was rich. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, my, everything, my family was so good. And did your mother stay in New York? She did, yeah. She stayed in New York, yeah, till, till she, till she, she actually passed here, but that was because I, she was sick. I had a friend that was a heart surgeon down there. She came down here. So but, you brought her here? Yeah, yeah. yeah and are she, your siblings still in the East Coast? Or you uh, yeah, my brother, my, I have two brothers still in New York, and my sister's in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Okay, That's and, and still in close to all of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were staying really close. We talked way too much. So, so Houston became home? Yeah. From about 23... On, on and right? off, yeah. We, I, I was down here uh, from 23. Mrs. Abercrombie got into the business, so that was a bit of a shock. And uh, so I had to get a new promoter, so I actually wanted to get a promoter in uh, New York, who was the biggest promoter in the world at that time, a guy named Cedric Kushner. Mm-hmm. And he was a big uh, a concert promoter besides being a, yeah. a boxing promoter, a South African guy. So anyway, I was going between here and New York. And um, so and we we then moved back home and. Uh, 
Right after the Tyson fight in '99, I built my dream house in Warwick, New York. Do you know where it was? Yeah, yeah. Where the apple orchard? Yeah, uh-huh. so pretty. Yeah, so we built, built the house up there. And everything. So take me through a little bit the life of a boxer as things start also for you. They started yeah. taking off. I mean, yeah. we'll go in. I mean, you fought everybody. But yeah. the life of a boxer from a kid of 23, you yeah. know? And what, what's that life like, you know? You know, to me, it was just, there was Nirvana in the sense, I mean, besides losing my dad, it was so hard because he was such a huge part of my career, you know, and didn't want me to fight. It was, you know, he did not want me to fight. I mean, just, he didn't. But once I did do it, and he saw I was dedicated, he, he supported me. But it was, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, there was two different parts of my career. I mean, the first is building on the way up. And I love training. I mean, I'm like you. I, I you know, Holyfield and I, and I say this, you know, listen, he's one of the most amazing fighters. But one thing we did have in common was, um, we both, you know, we just love training. I mean, he, he would probably, he's probably still training now. I love doing it. I still, I still train harder than a lot of the fighters that are fighting now. I just, I just love doing it. To me, I was perplexed that guys wouldn't train because I work construction. I mean, I get up five in the morning, go to work, mm-hmm. then work, you know, nine hours, and then, you know, go back, drive an hour and a half back home to upstate. And it was just, I was like, this is ridiculous. But, you know, and I was like, wait a second, I can work four hours and get paid and maybe make a lot of money? I was like, this is, you know, why would I do that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so getting it was paid so easy. to work out. Yeah. Said, okay, I, I don't have to lug I mean, this stuff it, around and yeah, do all this. I just, mm-hmm. I would perplex the guys that won't trade. It just makes no sense to me. Look, I don't get it either, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, from where I sit, never having been pro at anything, yeah, per se, but yeah. the stuff that always interests me about, about athletes and sports in general yeah. is, is the actual training. Like, if you yeah. ask me... A, if I wanted to go watch the practice or yeah. if I actually want to watch the game. In yeah. most instances, I like watching the practices. You know what? Uh, you, in boxing, to umpteenth degree, there's, I mean, I could actually, when I first moved to Houston, which is odd because, you know, New York is known, at the time, was the mecca of boxing, but at the time, Houston was the mecca of gym boxing. They had mm-hmm. some of the greatest fighters here. And it was kind of by osmosis because um, George Foreman had his camp here. Then Duva's, uh, remember the Duva's? Yeah, Lou Duva. Yep, Lou Duva had his camp. There. He was out, in, I believe it or not, Galena Park. And then uh, Foreman had a camp out uh, on 59th Park. And then um, there was a lot of guys over at the Heights Gym, too. I mean, there was a lot of pros here. There most heavyweights in the country mm-hmm. were down here when I came down here. It was crazy. I remember so, Canalitos was the first place I walked into well, when Canalitos, I first got he, down he, But he was at, he was at mm-hmm. the Heights Gym. On, mm-hmm. uh, high, was that the one on the Heights Gym? Or it was, was down here where Minute Maid, I guess, was or off of 288. Yeah, on know? Walker Street. Wow, mm-hmm. yeah. Good. Uh, a yeah, he didn't have that too long. And then he had another gym at... Uh, and uh, he still got it on uh, kind of in the hood home off of uh, Dowling Street over there. He was a nice guy. What a gentle giant. Mm-hmm. He's a big dude. What do I say about you? Gentle, yeah, gentle giant. He was, he was what a nice guy. But man. the training, you make a good point. It's The training to me is really what's in, what's most interesting. Yeah. You know, the preparation, yeah. oh, the, work, the drilling, the doing it, no matter what the sport yeah. is, you know, that's the stuff that's fascinating to me. And now... We get such an inside look at a lot of it because yeah. of the meat, like all the shows that are done, you know, training yeah. camp with this team or behind the scenes Absolutely. of or, this or, stuff or 24 uh, 30 7. For 30, 20 percent. Yep, all of that stuff. That was the best thing that ever happened to boxing, really, because boxing was on a big downturn. 
and it got so much of the crossover market. My wife, she didn't like boxing, but she would watch the 24-7 because it was kind of intriguing. Yeah, it's like a soap opera. You get to know no, these no, people, you great. look behind it. I mean, now it humanizes the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, great point you just brought up. I mean, that's that's truly why I believe why uh, MMA got so big in such a short period of time because the UFC had that. Remember, they had the uh, Ultimate Fighter Championship. Yep, they had the house, those guys yep. were And I too. think people, you know, started to, you know, because think about it. I think it was probably in maybe... 93 and 94, this is kind of scary. But they had me go talk to the AMA because I was the probably the best well-spoken boxer. So one eye amongst the blind is king. But anyway, <laughs> so I, actually we went there because they were talking about abolishing boxing. They were mm -hmm. really going to talk, you know. And then to go from abolishing boxing to go, you know, to no holds barred. And it was ingenious, what you know, what they did by, by doing that. And also um, the Petitas, they got, they got um, you know, a couple of guys that legitimized. They had... Uh, um, the lady, she was a neurologist from, I can't remember her name, but she was a neurologist on Nevada, and then the commissioner of Nevada, they bring, they brought him over to that, and they kind of legitimized it. Mm -hmm. It was ingenious, I mean, from a business standpoint, it was very ingenious what they did. But that's what sports has <laughs> had to do now also, though, in terms of the storytelling and getting yeah. behind it, because it's not just, you know, boxing, which is an individual sport, or MMA, which is an individual yeah. sport, but even on the team side, like when we grew up, you could name everybody on the Yankees. Oh, my God. And they were there, season yeah. in and season out for yeah. a while. It was a know? dynasty. I mean. Yep. And now... Your Islanders, you yep. guys. With the Islanders, 80 to 84. I mean, yeah. I could still name all the guys <laughs> on, on on that team that were there for all four. But it was rare for guys to just jump all over the place. Yeah, exactly. But now, yeah. with free agency and everything else, guys are jumping all over the place. Mm -hmm. So you don't know the people as much. The loyalty, no, no, you're right. It, I mean, we grew up, we it's grew different. Up, yeah. But So when you can get an inside look... At these guys, and it yeah. humanizes it. You know, it, it creates a more interest and intrigue. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and it, people feel almost vested to a sense because you know they feel like they know the guy and everything. That's why I think the thing with uh, you know the whole business plan behind the uh, UFC was ingenious. I mean, from the beginning, I think now. I think that they maybe uh, you know I think they can't service their debt. I think they might have paid a little bit too much for it because I see them now. They're talking about going to boxing. I don't know if you see this stuff, but they're talking about a, a lot of stuff. I don't know. And and listen, they have to have growing pains too. I mean, it just I think their business plan was almost like a Tyco from the beginning. Just everybody opened up, just take them over. But I don't think it's financially feasible anymore. So, and you've seen boxing at a, at a number of different levels, you know, different yeah. incarnations of, of the sport. You know, you got the heyday when people were filling arenas for yeah. closed circuit, yeah. and you were fighting on Yeah, just like we, like we were talking about before. I mean, even in the, the, from the amateur standpoint, the Golden Gloves was, it was unbelievable. My dad fought three times in one night in the Golden Gloves. That's how busy it was. And then, but I was like the last era. And now they can't even, they changed it from the Golden Glove, they changed it to a different name because they're not getting anybody to come out, you know. And I think... I think that's twofold. I think guys aren't getting into boxing as much, but I think also a lot of people aren't opening gyms anymore because when I was a kid, you might have seen the same thing, when I was a kid, within probably a 30 or 40 mile radius, I probably had five gyms where I could go free. There was uh, Yonkers PAL, there was um, uh, another, um, um, what was the gym on? There was another one on, on Wake, the Wakefield Forum gym. There was like a boys club that we could go free in. Now, I mean, there's probably one gym in all of Houston where you can go. It's called um, um, Reverend Ray's Gym over on Dowling. But anywhere else, I mean, there's no more gyms. So it's not financially feasible for guys to open boxing gyms. I mean, think about it. Is there a worse business plan? Get, you know, a bunch of poverty-stricken kids and try and sweat them for 60 bucks a month? I mean, just, mm -hmm. it really doesn't work, you know? It's, it's hard. But at the same time that you talk about that, what we are seeing now, 
is a resurgence in boxing oh, yeah. from a fitness standpoint. Absolutely. Right? I mean, people are, you know... They, Which, they, we've seen all kinds of concepts. I mean, and you've had a boxing yeah. gym you know, for a while. You've been promoting fights. You've seen it. So you've got your place in downtown Houston. Yeah. For example, and that's got one style. You know, you walk in yeah. there, okay? <laughs> I just and, went. I just came from there. Okay. And, and it, that feels... I had to throw a homeless guy out. Okay. Just, just to, So that's what short. it feels like. It feels yeah. like it, it is. It doesn't feel <laughs> like it. It is. I mean, that's your old school yeah. boxing gym. Yeah. Right? And fighting as from a fitness standpoint, but it's a boxing gym. Yeah. Now you look at Savory's fight fit in, in <laughs> West U. Okay? Hey, it's rough over there. You can't it, get a T-12, hey, buddy. Look, you're right by the train tracks. We get it. Okay? But for those of you out there, we're, we're, talking, we're, talking, a good na- we're talking a good neighborhood. Yeah. Now Savory's fight fit. Different location, okay, yeah. you're in West University, Houston, Texas, we're talking high-end, fight fitness, boutique-style yeah. studio, yeah. but it's not just just here, you know, in Houston, but we're seeing this in, in other markets as well. There was a great article that just came out, and a bunch of people had sent it to me, and they talked about how Vogue boxing is right now. You know, um, to me, and I'm biased, obviously, but I think, you know, from an aesthetic standpoint, you can get such a good look. I mean, guys, you know, especially now... Um, you know, the functional fitness thing is a big thing, and I think, you know, guys are not looking to get as, when I was a kid, I mean, we did, you know, just three sets, you know, pyramid down, as heavy mm-hmm. as you can go, but now things are a little bit different, and uh, I think that the boxing lends itself to a really good aesthetic, and especially with the women, they find it really in vogue now, they get a good look, and uh, it's a perfect integration of, you know, cardiovascular and resistance training. The bags are, you know, 200 pounds, and you're hitting those bags, and it gives you a really good, long, lean mm-hmm. look. So... And I said, we went from maybe it being not, you know, you didn't see a lot of boxing gyms, yeah. and now you got it here, and I'll be in New York soon, and I got it, you know, and, and Rumble, you know, yeah, Rumble's yeah. going on in New York, yeah. and, and... I just I had think, a client say that Rumble recommended that, you know, it was pretty cool. Cool, and then I think, I think it's Foreman, one of Foreman's kids has got another thing going, and I was in Santa Monica. Is his Rumble? I thought his was Rumble. His isn't Rumble, and then there's a boxing burnout, but it's... it's but you're seeing the best it one, I'm biased, but there's a really cool one down uh, downtown. It's called Trinity Boxing. Okay. Those guys, if you have your chance, go over there. I was supposed to fight the owner. He's a neat guy. I was supposed to fight him in the Golden Gloves. I was a plumber, and he was a steam fitter, and we were drawing huge crowds. He wound up getting knocked out before I, I, I beat the guy who beat him, but really okay. cool guy. I try to emulate my dream after him. Mm-hmm. He has one there and one in Santa Monica. He's a pretty neat guy. Okay. No, I definitely got to check those out. Yeah. I love Santa Monica, too. Yeah. So the dichotomy between... Training as a fighter, mm-hmm. yeah. and and the purest, okay, in there and training, <laughs> and fight fitness, kind of the boutique studio. Yeah. We got the music, you know, the, <laughs> the bags count the blows that you're doing, you know, all of that stuff. Okay. Where are you on both sides of, of that? I mean, because you seem to be able to handle it, like yeah. you handle it well on both sides. Like no, I, I you, love you it. dig I mean, all that other stuff. No, no, but if you I, want I to train it. like a fighter, you can yeah. do both too. Yeah, I can. I mean, I was, I was in, you know, I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, why am I enjoying this so much? And I, I was thinking about it. I mean, literally, so I'm 53. Uh, I've been in boxing gyms. I mean, literally, I mean, consistently, you know, five to six days a week for the last, you know, probably 35 years, you know, and some of the gyms were just hellacious, you know. I mean, the one downtown, we talk about it. I mean, that's, I mean, I was at a gym, worst gym ever, which is a prolific statement. I was at a gym in, on Yonkers Avenue in Yonkers, and this guy, Nick Rattini, was all mobbed up, and he had this gym. And it was uh, below the uh, below the uh, roller skating rink, and it was so bad. I mean, literally, it was so bad. There was rats, everything. It was like something out of a Rocky movie. So I, I've seen, you know, but I, I'm kind of enjoying this now too. And I like, I just like talking to people. I mean, there's so many uh, 
characters over there, and, you know, just really nice people. Where do you want to take it? You know, as you said, you're 53 now. Yeah. Right? You got a couple of places. You've been promoting yeah. fights. I mean, been in the game a long time. What's the vision for for Fight Fit? You know, to back up a little bit, like people always talk about having kids, but for me, it was probably the best thing I ever did. I mean, it's a lot of obviously a lot of responsibility, but for me, it gave me direction. I just want to do. I want. I mean, I joke about it, but. but That's what happens on a live podcast. Every once in a while, you forget to turn your phone off. Okay. So. And it's going to happen again, okay? Don't worry about it. That works. Just unplug it. Yeah, that's what you do. So that's That's how you you get my VCR to stop blinking. Mm -hmm. I'll put duct tape on it. That was it. Unscripted. There it is. A couple of calls coming in. But I can't work under these conditions. You live and you learn. Okay. So, as we get back into the depth of family, okay? In there. Yes. So, anyway, you know, I, I have a, a lot of friends, and it's just, I mean, they're, you know, with the kids. But for me, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm on the level of probably eight, nine-year-old. I, I get along with kids so much better than grown-ups. And so I just love being with my kids. So my... It's great to know your direction when you wake up in the morning. I mean, my goal, I mean, be honest, if I had, if, you know, I had my drones, I'd hang out with my kids all day. I mean, it's so much fun. To, you know, as you know, you turn around, I got one kid in college already. I mean, it's crazy. That's, mm-hmm. you know, so I think things go fast. So, and that's, and that's twofold. So one, I mean, the kids program at Fight Fit, yeah. okay, is perfect for you. Yeah. Because you want the kids around. I get along with okay. them too much. <laughs> and you've got them in there, and it's really cool to see that vibe, and the families are bringing their kids in, and the kids are going in one direction, you know, to this <laughs> no, room, and mom and dad are going in the other direction, you know, and go do that, and then they're back. And have you got, ever them. met uh, Josh, Josh Hill's kid? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh that kid is hilarious, man. He should be he should be in commercials. He's hilarious, Zach. He's a funny Well, there are a bunch of them in there that are, yeah, that are a riot yeah, right really now. Fun. They're really fun. So you... So we're going to backtrack a little yeah. bit on this and go back to family because you mentioned it and it's yeah. super important to you as it is for me and we talk about this stuff all the time. But let's talk, we can't talk family until we talk, until we talk wife first. I got you, bit. yeah. Okay? So <laughs> Lou, for the Lou, there's also a Louisa. This okay? is true. You I can't thought, plan this. Okay? I thought she was trying to pick me up. She said, I said, what's your name? She said, Lou. I said, yeah, right. And we're both Lou. She's Louisa. She's my name with an A or I'm her name minus the other one. So how did you and Louisa meet? We had a mutual friend, Hattie, and uh, they were going to U of H together, and I saw her one day, and I said, wow. So anyway, he, he uh, introduced me, and it's all been history. That's about as simple a version as, as we can possibly get, okay? <laughs> because said, I'm leading up to, that, up to that point, okay? There has to be a stopping point where you're like, okay, this is actually the one. Okay? Yeah. Because yeah. you're oh, one. That's a great point. Okay. So I had this vicious cycle. It was terrible, and I, I, I'm sorry about this, but I actually wrote a poem about this, and it was called. And it was called. I, I just anyway. I would. Well, I do the same thing. I would meet a girl in Houston. I, you know, have fun, get, and I was such a. I, I'm a really tough, tough guy. But one thing I hate is confrontation. I don't mind. I, I like. I hit a certain level, and I just hit somebody. That's it. But otherwise, I don't like confrontation. I would much rather avoid it. So. I would, what I would do is I would just, I'd meet a girl here, and then I would just move. I'd just go back to New York. <laughs> then I'd meet a girl in New York, and this would go on for a while. It was a really vicious cycle, and not, not very nice. But anyway, I met her, and I, we, same thing kind of happened. I went back to New York, and I was like, oh, my God, I missed this girl. So I said, I got I to gotta go back. So she okay. was nice enough to take me back. 
So where did you guys get married? We got married at uh, at St. Michael's, the church, and then we went, we had our uh, we had our uh, our reception at the Omni. The Omni. Okay, cool. so you were living here. Yeah, we're living here. So all New York is going to come down. And I have a brother. And this is really funny. I have a brother. He's a biscuit away from 300. He says he's 299. I don't think anybody's ever been 299. So he does this <laughs> well, thing. Well, comparison, though, how big are you? <laughs> Me? Well, I mean, you're, I mean, you're big. Right now, I'm about 240. 240 okay, and 6'4", 6'5"? 6'5", yeah. 6'5". Okay, yeah. fine. So you're but like I'm an eclipse. I'm, I'm a little guy in my family, but I'm not even a keeper. But my other brother, so anyway, what he does this thing called the fat man dance. So my dad, my dad had passed before my wedding, but... My dad was a New York cab driver from the Bronx, and my wife's dad was uh, the um, CEO of uh, Battle Mountain Gold. It was an Anheuser-Busch company, BMG, Harvard guy, and we were, so our family was a little bit bipolar, so I, I like it that the, their family's coming, our family's kind of watching the guys at Zoom. My brother's thing called the Fat Man Dance, where he takes his shirt off and shakes his boobies, and that was a, that was a big hit. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does the worm, you know, from uh, from Animal House. So it was it was uh, it was different. It was the meaning of meaning of uh, it was, but it worked out. We're still together. So how you still okay? Uh, yeah. Still together. So that was getting me to to the next question. So, yeah. you know, what was Louise's take on meeting a boxer, being with a boxer? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think. Uh, I don't know. I mean, she. It was, it was, I respect her. I still respect her so much for this. She never wanted to go to any of my fights. I really like that because uh, you see in boxing. I mean, some some wives want to be bigger than a fighter, or girlfriends just want to be in there. And, get, and that, I, that was so respectable and admirable of her not to want to go in there and take the show. It was really cool. And like I said, because I, I know this, but but she's a teacher. Okay, yeah, always she, interested in education. She she loved it. I mean, she, she it's it's so cool to see her. I mean, she's so passionate about it. I mean, she really loves her job. I mean, it's amazing. We go. I, I talk about. I went to Catholic school, and if I saw a nun, I mean, literally, I would run. I couldn't even go to the zoo because I was scared of penguins. I mean, <laughs> nuns. I was so scared. Of, I'm not kidding. My nuns, they were tougher than most of my opponents. I, I used to get this sister Gemma used to beat me up. But anyway, so I'd see a nun. If I saw her in public, I would just run. I would run. I just run. But it's so cool to me and so shocking. We'll be at like Edward Cinema or I pick. And the kids see her, they run up, they hug her. I'm like, wow, I used to run for my nuts. But <laughs> <laughs> my teachers were mostly nuts. Children. Yes. Okay. You got one in college. Yep, a freshman in A&M, Ciro. He's my, he's my, uh, that's my, my buddy. Great kid, great athlete. Okay. You got another son. Luca, totally different. We're just, we, he's neatest kid ever. He's got a, a fro. He's, he's, uh, <laughs> he's his own kid. He's just uh, really... Uh, very cerebral, just a really neat guy. I'm still trying to find something in common with him besides we're both big, but that's all right. So <laughs> he's throwing the shot put, which is cool, but not really athletic. Okay. And the baby. The boss, Claire. The boss. Okay. Yeah, now now we're going somewhere. Now yeah. we've got now we got daddy's girl. <laughs> does no wrong. Does does no wrong, right? Does no wrong. Whatever she wants, she gets. Oh, just a funny story this morning. So we're looking at buying mom a new car. So I put up a bunch of cars on the screen. I said Sweetie, what, what car do you think we go for mommy? She goes, Daddy, I don't know. But I see the car I want. I said, what is it? It was a limo. She goes, Daddy, I want a limo so bad. I said, okay, baby. I said, let me see something. She calls my wife and says, Mommy, Daddy's buying me a limo. And I said, she said, no, he's not. I said, yes, I am. So I really, in my mind, I, I want to get in this limo. But so my wife said, why do you want a limo, sweetie? She's like, it would be so cool. We could drive everybody to school. I was like, that's so nice, you know. So <laughs> we need a limo. So you are, you are the gentle giant. Yeah. So, okay, but there's, 
Okay, so Claire is seven? Claire is seven. So, uh, so we have a bit of a, we took a sabbatical. Okay. We went from uh, 17 to seven, 10 years. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so almost the difference in age between my youngest brother and, <laughs> and myself. Yeah. I asked, intentional sabbatical? Okay, or like, <laughs> holy shit, we're having another kid. <laughs> no, it was very, very romantic. She, she woke up and she said, you, uh, can I carry something? She, she said, you, she said, you asshole. I better not be pregnant. My boobs are killing me. So <laughs> it was, turned out we were pregnant, but it was the best thing that ever happened to us. We, That's amazing. Yeah, now, yeah. how, how are the boys with Clara? Oh my God! It's, you know, we always thought there'd be some cool dynamics, but we had no idea the magnitude of this. I mean, it's almost innate to them. When they come home, they just first thing they do, where's Clara? I mean, my son. He, Call today, the one in college asked about her, and I told her that he may be coming home this weekend. She's like, yes, yes. It's just, it's the coolest dynamic ever. We joke about it. We say, she's in better hands with them. I mean, they they, they take such good care of her. It's really cool. That's awesome. Now, as a dad for you, um, you were close with your dad. Yeah. And we talked about him at, yeah. at, at, a young, at a younger age. How are you with your kids? What's your parenting philosophy, you know, your kids are all different. We've talked about that too. No. You know, I think my boys are, are quite different from yeah. one another. Yeah. I mean, that's a cool thing. It's really mm -hmm. cool. But I mean, my dad to me was so forward thinking. I was talking to you about it before, but there was a lot of bravado in that Italian culture and stuff, but he, he just wanted us to be happy. You know, it was really, it was really cool. I mean, he, he loved us to play sports, but he didn't care as long as we were happy. And I, I you know, I saw, I saw a lot of what he saw through my eyes with my kids. I mean, just seeing and knowing exactly what I went through. So, and you know, he he put his kids' needs first. I mean, that was it. I mean, that was that's why he was such a good dad. I mean, he always put his kids' needs first. I mean, I'd go over story, over story, over story again where he just, you know, I remember he would work so hard. And uh, this one story I remember vividly. We were in, uh, I was playing baseball, and we were in Cornwall, New York. You know what Cornwall is? Up, I like, do not. Okay, it's upstate. It's on, uh, it's uh, right by the Woodbury Commons. Where, I mean, okay, that Yeah, yeah, and there's a, a military school there. We were playing them in baseball. And this new bat came out there. Everybody was talking about it. It's called an Easton. I don't know if you remember Easton. Mm -hmm. This is a new bat this time, an Easton bat, which everybody has now. And anyway, I went, went so I was getting up, and we were, we were down by three. There was loaded bases. I was the cleanup hitter. My dad pulls into the parking lot, drove from the Bronx two hours, went to work at 5 in the morning, drove all the way up upstate two hours to bring me this bat, and I get up. And I, I crack a grand slam home run and we win the game. It was just, I, it was so cool. I mean, it was just that's, fun. that's awesome. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the, some of the fights, which are pretty amazing. I got to tell you one more dad story. You're going to kick out of this Okay. So you know a dad's strength, you're never going to beat up your dad. So one day I was drinking, I was 16. I started drinking, I came home late, and my dad said, opened the door, I said, hey, chooch, Mama Luke. That means big asshole in Italian. <laughs> What are you doing out there? I was making a lot of noise coming home. He said, he goes, were you drinking? I said, yeah, I was. He said, what? I said, yeah, I was. I said, things are going to change around here. That's the last thing I remember. That thing, do you remember the springs under the bed when you're under? I was under the bed and I was funny, he was kicking me. And my mom said, stop it, Charlie, you're going to kill him. I said, oh yeah, I'm going to kill him. So now at family parties, we always get the joke, things are going to change around here. Everybody starts laughing. Yeah, so, <laughs> but they don't change. Because no, you're, they, you're no, soft. No, no, okay? no, no, no. <laughs> that was the last time I talked back to that. So as in, we're going to talk about some of the fights and, and the, the, res, the list of fights is, unbe is unbelievable. But I want to ask you also, what... You afforded a lot of opportunities from boxing, too. Uh, what's your best non-boxing kind of experience? Something you can say, holy shit, I got to do that because, you know, I, I was a boxer. Is there something, you know, that really stands out that 
that you got to do, or it could be a could be more than one thing, of course. But best outside boxing experience. You know, I was in Italy. This is really cool. One of my really good friends here, Dan Silvestri, has, has a castle in Italy. It's really cool. But we were in this little village. Scorsese couldn't have scripted like this, and I just knocked out Buster Douglas. And they took this TV, they put it in the little village, and everybody, and we watched that fight. It was really cool. That was probably one of the coolest memories I had. And then the other one, on a more of a glamorous spot, was at the Fashion Cafe in New York. After I beat Foreman, I walked the runway with RuPaul. It was okay. cool. We did runway. Was that that thing that all the models opened or whatever? Yeah, the yeah. Was yeah like no, Planet yeah. Hollywood, yeah, that, that thing or whatever? That was it, exactly. Last okay. thing, about a year. But that was it. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the Fashion Cafe, so I went there. That was fun. That was pretty cool, too. <laughs> walking the, uh, working it with RuPaul was pretty cool. Now, very casually, as you're, as you're answering this question, you're like, yeah, it was right after I knocked out Buster Douglas. And I'm like, okay, not a whole lot of people can very casually just throw out there. It was right after I knocked out Buster Douglas. Yeah, I mean, Douglas was... He, he was, it was, it was one of the greatest fights ever for two reasons. One for me, I was such a big underdog. I was like 22 to one. And for all the right reasons, he, it looked like a nightmare for me. He had such a good jab. I, I was to cut easy. So it just seemed like my worst type of fight, you know. But we had a great strength coach. Remember a guy, Tim Hallmark? I know the name. But. Yeah, well, Tim was with Holyfield. He was a really great strength coach. We, we, it was a very, very rare fight where everything we did just clicked. I mean, we practiced. I mean, we did some really alternative stuff. He, had, he was shooting baseballs at me. I would duck the whole fight, the whole premise. It was pretty low eggs in one basket. I was going to drop his hand after he threw the left hand, and we would come back to the right hand. And to my surprise, it worked. I mean, it just actually worked. chronologically, did you fight Douglas after he fought Tyson? Yeah, I fought, I fought. So I can actually tell people I beat the man who beat the man. Okay. <laughs> no, but we, uh, anyway, yeah, I did. I fought him after that. I fought him at Foxwoods up in Connecticut. Up in Connecticut on yeah, the Indian cool. Reservation. Yeah, the cool story on that one was Butterbean. I, I had a little disdain for Butterbean because I thought he was mocking. I'm kind of a boxing purist, so a boxing story. I thought he was mocking boxing because he was the king of the four-rounders. Mm-hmm. You know, who fights? So anyway, I was on a dais up there, and uh, I walked up the dais. You know, me and, me and uh, Doug was there. Butterbean was on the other car. I looked at him. I said, you're next. He goes, no, man, I don't want to fight you. You're like a real fighter. <laughs> I, that was so cool. It was so nice of him. You know? And we turned out to be friends after that. Really, really cool and cat. that was a guy who found a niche. I mean, You're seriously. Oh I mean, God, what, a mar- what a marketer. I mean, you he figured, can, okay. I, I, I haven't come to some of my fights. The nicest guy. I mean, what, what a... I don't doubt it. I mean, I yeah. think the guy just kind of fell into it a little it bit. Like, hey, I can he, leverage you know, he this and market a, he this. He started a tough man contest. He won mm-hmm. a tough man, like the world's strongest bouncer. Like Mr. T. Remember Mr. T won that too? I do, yeah. yeah well, that's yeah. what he where he was found too, wasn't yeah, he? Mr. Yep, T yep, was, you know, yep. a bouncer guy in a tough man contest. Yeah, and yeah same thing with Butterbean. He was a tough man. Became B.A. Baracus yeah, yeah. on the 18th. On the oh, my God, that was awesome. <laughs> so... Okay, <laughs> so as we get past casually throwing out, just knocking out Buster Douglas after... Putting them in order. Okay. Who's the who's the toughest guy you fought in your mind? You know, it's so hard because, like, splitting hairs. I mean, you know, you obviously think the ones that beat me would be, the, you know, the ones I would say were the toughest. But I, I don't, I mean, it's a guy that I still quake in my boots, uh, Riddick R- 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 Bow. I mean, who was, mm-hmm. you know, I fought him in the average, but he just, he, he should have been, I have no doubt, I'm a boxing historian, probably the greatest, should have been the greatest heavyweight ever. I mean, he was that good. Just... Great guy, but just not, you know, he, he had no upbringing, just a really rough, rough area from bed But he should have been the greatest boxer ever. So I fought him in the amateurs to go to the, Olympic, to go to the Olympics. He beat me in the uh, semifinals, Olympic trials. But, I mean, I fought so many tough guys. Foreman, I mean, Foreman was just, you know, they're, they're all different. Tyson was quick. 
Uh, former just big, strong guy. I'd walk up to you and say, hey, Greg, and just touch on you. And like, oh, my goodness. I mean, just had heavy hands, you know. And uh, there were so many guys. Holyfield. the type of thing, not not to cut you off, though, that yeah. you get a sense of, you know, like, some guys are just, like, they just radiate toughness. Some yeah. guys can be big, but you're kind of like, okay, that doesn't frighten me so much. Can so you true. tell, God, you get that feel, like, mentally, like, oh. okay, again, this guy, this is going to hurt, okay? Yeah. But yeah. this guy. Foreman, it just, it was like, it was like your dad. I mean, he would just walk in a room. And I have friends that play pro football, you know, like Kylie or a guy, Sean Jones, who I was good friends with. He's six, six, seven, three fifty. But something about Foreman, he'd walk in a room and he was just the man. I mean, people were just, he was a big man. Was, you know, it was amazing. He was just a, you know, commandeering, big personality. I mean, and, you know, just kind of the boss, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah, he was just one of these guys, you know, it's going to be a tough fight. And some of them, though, I guess also, you're inside the ring and there are rules. Yeah. But some of these guys have a couple of screws loose too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody gets at the box and do it for, you know, my dad used to say, no brains, no pains. That's what he used to say. So I would just, so, it, uh, yeah, it's, you know, you got to think. I mean, a lot of the guys, you know, who would want to go in there and do that for a living, you know, get some issues. But, I mean, you also meant, you know, things went well for you overall in the, in the, yeah. in the career. Mm-hmm. And you were... You mentioned earlier on also that you you built a dream house. Yep. Okay. After the Titan, after, yeah. after the Tyson fight. So what happened? When was that? What happened to the dream? That house? was two thousand. Um, we built it. We start. I bought the property when I, I won the fight early on. It was an hour north of New York City called Warwick, New York. It was really beautiful. I mean, picturesque place. I bought a six acre lot up there. And we built our dream house. I mean, it was a beautiful house. Married at the time when you said we, okay? Was that you and Louisa? Yeah, we okay. built it. Yeah, we built it. We got married, we got married in 99, mm-hmm. and we moved there. We moved into the house in 2003. Okay. We the house built it and moved into it. And life was just going great. And I was building homes in Houston at the time, and then 2008 came, and, you know, uh, we got crushed. I mean, a lot of people, it, it happened to a lot of guys that were mm-hmm. a lot better builders, more, uh, more, you know, more astute real estate guys. I mean, one of my good friends who actually was a uh, amazing builder, one of the guys I wanted to emulate, he built all of St. Georgetown behind the Galleria back there. Uh, are you familiar with that? You know, right behind, kind of, you know, off of, between West Alabama mm-hmm. and uh, between West Timer and Richmond. That was all his dream. His name was Robert Silvers. He actually took his life uh during mm-hmm. after that time in 2008, I mean, it was just shocking to everybody. You know, he was a guy a lot of the builders looked up to. But it was a it was a tough time. I mean, really, really tough time. You know. Mm-hmm. So did you at that time? Was that did you guys sell the new? Was that we sold the house? Yeah, we sold the house in New York. We we uh, bought a house down here. So mm-hmm. yeah, and you know, it was the quickest way to get a raise. I was paying my. Uh, my project manager, something like ten grand a month or whatever. So you know, it was a quicker way. And then you know, we had a lot of there was a lot of you know. In hindsight, twenty twenty, obviously, I, you know, we joke about it because we get we haven't the guy won't charge me to mow my lawn for like going since two thousand uh, since two thousand eight because like Mister Lou, you're the only one that paid me. He's really nice guy, sweet guy, and he keeps doing. I told my wife, so if he keeps mowing my lawn for the next twenty six years, we'll probably break even. But anyway, he, you know, I, I didn't know and. He, so that's cool, but you know, to my chagrin, I probably should have filed, you know, uh, Chapter Eleven or Chapter Seven bankruptcy, but I didn't. I didn't want to do it then, but I probably should have done it in retrospect. But everything happens for a reason. Life yeah. is good. Which is a, a a conversation, a lesson about about perseverance. Yeah. You know, also, I mean, 
you did a lot of your fighting, obviously, in the ring. But now, but you're talking about you know real life lessons yeah, and shit absolutely. that we and shit that we all absolutely all go through. Yeah. What was the turning point for you, or the, or the turnaround point there? Also, you're saying, okay, I fought, I built, you know, I got a setback, and and how do you? What was the turning point on, you know, on coming it, through it, all that stuff? It wasn't it wasn't one one thing. I mean, it was really you know being getting getting. Uh, um, Oh, it's, it's weird. Always through my downturns, with my but the hardest thing before that, and probably was still the hardest thing in my life when I lost my dad. He was, we were, you know, he was just such a, you know, domineering person. He was so good to us and everything. We we joke about it. I said, I mean, I had to pay insurance for my car. I didn't realize that I really had to pay insurance for my car. My dad used to pay it. But that was that was really the hardest moment up up until that point. So I would always I would write a lot. I'd write a lot of poetry and stuff, and that would help get me through this stuff and uh, keeping journals and stuff. So in 2008, when it happened, it, it was a tough time because you know we had our dream house, everything was just going smooth. But that, you know that's life, and uh, so. It was a tough time, very tough time. I mean, and uh, I used to joke about depression. You know, me and my brother we used to joke because we were like work hard. I said, "Wish we had time to be depressed." I, I got depressed. I mean, it was it was a tough time, really tough time. Mm -hmm. So, the writing being therapeutic for you, yeah. You know, have you ever put any of it out? I mean, is you know, I, I, I've private had stuff. You no, know, I'll put on. I'll put on. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Once in a while, Instagram, whatever. But I had just had it's funny. I had I had when I went one day. I was at, I'm going back on one of my tangents. But one day I was at a fight. Uh, well, at the Madison Square Garden. It's funny. I made a, a dear friend for that. But I was telling stories about raising kids, and this lady behind me goes, she said, "Excuse me." She said, "Me and my friend have been listening to you all." I said, "You got to write a book." And I said, "Really?" And she said, "Yeah." She said, uh, "I'm a writer," and. Um, this is my friend. She's with Simon Schuster, and she said, "She said we have the name picked out already." I said, "What's that?" She said, "Tough guys change diapers too." And I was like, "Oh, that's a good one." So anyway, I made friends with this lady. Her name is Ann Bitterman, and she wrote. She was one of the writers on uh, Ray Donovan, okay. and she used my trainer's name. And it was so cool. Uh, she used my trainer's name, uh, Potato Pie. So one of the characters on the show is Potato Pie. So it was really cool. But anyway, she was talking about. Just recently, I've had somebody come to me and want, want me to publish the uh, publish some of my poems. We'll see. I, I don't know. It's not really. I just like doing it. But we have a cool name too. Pugilistic poetry is kind of cool. <laughs> Pugilistic poetry. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The next the next phase. You've had a pretty. Uh, <laughs> but you've had a pretty close, tight knit crew, right? Yeah. From your trainers, you know, your friends, same throughout guys. the we, whole thing. Yeah, we, it, we used to joke about it. I mean, I had the same guys, my cousin Guido, my brother Charles. I mean, it's just, we had the same entourage from the from the very, uh, very get-go. So. And they're still around you now. Same I guys, yeah. I talk to my brother probably three or four times a week. I mean, we just, we're really cool. My cousin Guido, he's a ball buster, but we talk all the time. He's... Now, when you are putting together, because now you're on the business owner side, okay, yeah. your name, you know, your name's on the door, you know, yeah. two plates. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. It, it is. <laughs> <laughs> as much as you like, you know, working, working with, the, with the kids and everybody yeah. else down there, I mean, it's another thing. You put your name on something. Uh, it's a product, you know, you know, and you got to yeah. put it out yeah. there, of course. But what are you looking for, you know, in... And the guys that are working for and with you. I mean, you've got a great group of trainers right yeah. now over there. But you we know, all know this comes down to people. Oh, right? you know. I mean, everybody from my friend, John, John Silverman, dear friend of mine, genius uh, businessman. He's got a huge security firm. Maybe top two or three. Him, Sachi, Sachi's a really big one. But he, he, to my brother who has four employees, everybody, and you probably too, I mean, 
the biggest problem is human resources. I mean, there's just so many variables and everything. So, you know, like anything else, you try and get, you know, get the best guys around you. We, we have, all our guys are either, you know, have been professional fighters or fighting right now. Or, so we have guys, it's kind of cool, you know, to be able to help them out. But also, that comes with some issues. I mean, we have guys right now getting ready to fight, and they can't work. And, you know, for mm-hmm. rightly so, because they have, you know, yep. cutting weight. We got a guy fighting Friday. Uh, wait. Fighting tomorrow. Fighting tomorrow, And yeah. he's, he's cutting, uh, I just talked to him, I saw him actually, cutting 13 pounds in one day. I mean, it's just, it's bizarre. I mean, these guys, but so. Did you ever that, have to do any of that as a No, I, you don't I, no, no, but no, 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 I did. I, I always made a point, I made a point to keep my weight, you know, I, I'd always set a goal, that's why I would do it. I just felt it would be good, you know, so I never came in, you know, I always fought at the, the weights I wanted to fight. I, was, I never got above 240, so. Mm, but that's a whole nother animal, this cutting, you know. Yeah, it's bizarre. Cutting. I mean. The, you know, I don't know if growing we had a lot of wrestlers in our area we grew up, but so I'd see guys do that. I see, I, I was roommates with a guy named Frankie Lyles, who was a uh, six foot three, 147. He would cut weight, but I've never ever seen it like the MMA guys. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I cornered a guy named from, from Houston called Mike the Greek, Mike Bronsoulis, and we went to Vegas together. And I, I know nothing about MMA, but he wanted me to corner him. And uh, I cornered him, and he lost 19 pounds in two days. I'm like, how do you do that? And it's got to be counterproductive, you would think, you know. Yeah, well, but these guys do it. It's like, you know. You, I don't know how you have any energy to do anything. Yeah, so I obviously don't understand the science behind it and how they do it. I don't think it and, is. And well, then they, they put the weight back on. As soon as they weigh in, some of these guys are up another but 10 But to me, it would be pounds. optimal to lose your weight, you know, two weeks before. Why would you want to, you know, crash? And there's been a lot of studies that that's why I think guys get, you know, subdural hematomas because the fluid around the brain you know, actually, they dehydrate. The, the brain hits the side of the wall. So I, I don't know how much how true that is, but it's, I just think there'd be a better way. But mm-hmm. I never had that problem. I was a heavyweight. So. Like you said, the he- at the heavyweight. Yeah, people. but I always kept. I, I always set goals for myself and just. Is that. there? A, I mean, this dumb question, but is there a maximum? Like no, no. no. Like I once you guys, get the heavyweight, it doesn't matter, right? I fought a guy, Michael Grant. He was like two eighty, a solid two eighty. I fought this guy, Goofy uh, Mount Whitaker. He was like. I mean, a jack, 275. I mean, these guys were big. And four of them was probably 260 when I fought them. So mm-hmm. there was really no uh, no weight limits. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Well, here's what we got. Okay. Right. We covered family. Mm-hmm. We covered baby Clara, of course. Okay? The boss, yeah. We covered, you know, a lot of the history of boxing. We covered a... And, and, we, co- and we talked a lot about Savary's Fight Fit, which is... Super, super exciting. Thank you. Uh, and, and what's going on. You've been a big advocate. Thank you for your hey, help. It's, it's a blast, you know, and uh, I'm spending time there. I'm enjoying the training. I'm enjoying the classes. I'm enjoying the people. You know, most of all, we talk about it, it's all about the people, yeah, you know, and the I community that's, that's there. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. You've always been amazing and generous. I mean, this is a guy who you call Lou up and you say, I want you to come out and talk to the Little League team. <laughs> the guy comes out and talks to a Little League team, okay? Uh, no Whatever. Problem. They were more my peers. <laughs> yes. So if we're looking for it, okay. For those of you out there, you want to hear more about Lou, you want to hear what's going on, you're in Houston around SavarisFightFit.com. Sure, yeah, 4415 Bel Air Boulevard. Stop by. All right. You can get the app on iTunes, yeah. okay? If you want comedy, lose your guy. You want poetry, lose your guy, okay? <laughs> Whatever it is. I don't know about that, but you anyway, thank you. <laughs> and uh, and the best hair in boxing, second maybe to Jer- Jerry Cooney, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. But I think my hair might be better than Cooney's. I don't know. I don't know. Did you know Cooney? Is I know him? Well, we, we actually, we keep in touch. It's really cool. We have a guy. Do you know Tad that comes to our gym? Mm-mm. Yeah, uh, a real fit guy. Anyway, uh, 
his boss, he's a huge Cooney fan. Just recently, I called Cooney. He's so nice. He sent me a, uh, a glove signed by him and uh, Larry Holmes. That's awesome. Yeah, Cooney's a great guy. Man. What, what a nice guy. Those were some fights. And what people don't realize, I mean, this is I'm a boxing story, but I love even better than the, the pro boxing part of it is that I love like gym stories and stuff. I love hearing about. And so many guys have told me by far the hardest they've been hit. Even guys for Tyson, Foreman, Holyfield say by far Cooney with the left hook. Really? Yeah, yeah. Guys tell me that and time and time again. They said it just never been hit that hard. What he did to Ken Norton that time, oh man, that was scary. Mm. So it, now it sparked something else. Are you active and around also on kind of that that nostalgic, you know, a boxing circuit? You know, like these guys. I mean, are you are there shows? Are guys hanging out? Are guys talking still? Because it's different you know, it's now. So, it's so you know? sad. It's really sad. I mean, you just I, I just got a call. Um, well, I, I got a call from Buster Douglas, representative. I mean, these guys. It's just a lot of them. I mean, it's so sad. It's just uh, that you know. Besides, you know, you're getting you're getting hit in the head. I mean, you you talk you hear about. I mean, obviously, it's very uh, very in the uh, forefront right now. You hear about guys in football, but just magnify that times twenty. I mean, because you know, football and it's a tough sport. But boxing, I mean, that's really your goal is to you know try and hit the guy in the head and you know concuss him or get him you know get him where he's you know uh, knocked down. So it, it's you know it's probably tenfold of football and so so many guys it's so sad and I think one of the big problems is guys just quit boxing and quit everything they don't work out anymore they don't do anything and that's a big part of it you know but it's sad it's just so many of these guys that are dissipated so bad you know and I guess as you're saying it comes back to the oh, I mean someone incapacitated in a way taking taking a lot of blows yeah but it gets back to where we first started out was you know, that enjoyment of the training aspect, yeah. physically being able to do it, but stay on. Yeah. You know, so know, that I, you can have the longevity and the sustainability in the, in the next phase of, of your life. And they're realizing in medicine, I think you and I had talked about before, everything now is so, I mean, it used to be, you get hurt. I mean, we used to joke about my doctor in, in New York where we grew up, he'd give you uh, antibiotics and uh, punch you in the arm and tell you to take off for a month, you know. But nowadays, you know, guys are having hip surgery, hip replacement and getting, you know, a week later, you know, walking and stuff, it's, and it's, you know, I just think it's so uh, a big part of the way medicine's going. It's so important for guys. It's, you know, boxers just stop and don't do anything. It's not good. Mm. And this is stuff again where you know the more you keep talking, the more we keep coming up with other stuff, which is which is yeah. great. So I got to keep asking you then instead of wrapping this up, boxing now also though. Uh, you know, I remember watching, you know, Hagler. And her, okay, and, and Duran, and what? And we go back, and then we talked about all the stuff again. You used to get the fights a closed circuit, yeah. and these guys were were just warrior. I mean, all these fights seemed like they were you know toe to toe. There were a lot of guys evenly matched. They never dodged each other. Yeah. It seemed like they were always fighting each other, which obviously, to your point, means you know they take a lot of blows yeah. over time. These are not, but. Has the trend? Do you think what what happened? I mean, guys weren't they were they weren't fighting as much. You know, they were fighting different levels of competition. They were they were moving around more. They weren't yeah. going mixing it up the same way that they used to. Did that change you know in what? sport, or is that just perception? The, the, you know what? Uh, to go back a little bit, there's no method to the madness when it comes to the part of the dimensions. I mean, never in the history of boxing has anybody been hit more than um, more than Jake Lamada. I was in shock. I didn't know it. Jake's still alive. Mm. He's 99. I mean, 
And last time I spoke to him, we were, we did a thing in uh, Oklahoma City. It was uh, it was a, a, a boxing charity deal, and he was out there. I mean, he was probably ninety and still lucid. I mean, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. So there's really no method to the madness. I, I have a friend that was my roommate in the Olympic training center, Gerald McClellan, great middleweight fighter, got hit wrong and you know, uh, you know, been, been you know, incapacitated for you know, basically brain dead for the last you know ten years. So there's really no method to the madness. I, I don't think they know what you know. Some guys maybe they're predisposed to it or whatever, but you know, mm -hmm. you don't want to be naive to it too. I mean, you get hit. But the sport also though has changed a lot. Where I think the expectation for a while was again. Get in there and guys go toe to go yeah. go toe to toe, where maybe you know you can't have a loss. I get you know now or, or no, they're, right. they're right. cherry picking differently. Yeah. And, you know and guys are not you know taking as many punches and throwing yeah. as many punches and protect the record. You know I, I think a big a big error that just left. I mean it's still going on is Mayweather, but he was just. You know what guys don't realize? He was probably and I'm a boxing story again, but I put him top five ever, best defensive fighters. I mean, the guy he just made. You know, there's guys like him. They just make really good guys look so regular, and that's there's not. You know, he's one of those guys. He was mm -hmm. just so special. But you know, and right before that era, there was some guys that would just have a war. You had Gotti and. Uh, that's Gotti what I'm saying. Those yeah, guys would yeah. go toe to toe, oh God. Mickey Ward, oh, Gotti, yeah, no, I mean, guys like that. And then you look at a Mayweather, Corrales, yeah. okay, and you go, "This guy, nobody's hitting anybody." Yeah, but, and you yeah, wonder whether it's, not, it's just that he's that good. I mean, mm -hmm. he's that good guy. You know, uh, I'm a boxing purist. I like it. I like to see him. You know, I could never do that, but I like to see him. You know, he's hitting and not getting hit. It's just he's so good. Anyway. And that's interesting to hear because I wanted to know that. Which is okay. He's just that good that yeah. nobody can get him. Yeah, right? he's, he's that good. I mean, you look at Roy Jones. Roy Jones in his heyday, I mean, nobody hit him. I mean, you couldn't hit him. I mean, the guy was, he was crazy. And he, he was hit more in his last three fights than his whole career. And I, I truly say that. I mean, he just wouldn't get hit. I mean, and you slow down just the, you know, the hands are quicker than the eye. You slow down just a fraction. That's the difference between getting hit and not getting hit. Mm -hmm. He got knocked out his last two fights, you know. Yeah, and you see that and you go, okay, and you can, I mean, you see it happen. You go, this is a guy that was untouchable. Yeah, but to Mayweather's credit, he's very smart. I mean, his boxing IQ is amazing, but... I saw something I was really impressed with. Like now, when he gets in the corner, he used to just keep his hands down. Now he puts his hands up. It's smart because he, he's cognizant of the fact that, hey, I slowed down a little bit. So mm -hmm. I had to keep my hands up. It was very smart on his part. Look, I don't know a whole lot about boxing, but I do yeah. know that I should keep my hands up, okay? Yeah, that would help. <laughs> <laughs> I never had that problem. I can tell you, certainly guys like me should keep their hands up, okay? Because <laughs> we're not winning on speed for anything at all. At all. At all. Well, listen, I, get, I, I appreciate it so Thank much. You, buddy. And I'm going to try not to find another five minutes worth of stuff right after, we, right it, after we do this. But, I'll come back. I enjoyed this. But it was awesome. As much as I would love to talk about the boxing all the time, the stuff that I really appreciate is, is your openness on, on the family, again, yeah. on the finance, appreciate on the fitness, on... You know, the philanthropy, the, all that stuff, you know, as a guy mean, yeah. means a lot. So thank you for doing this today, and I appreciate thank you, your friendship, Greg, buddy. Appreciate all, all right, man. The Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net.